0: conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We are excited to have you joining us today for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends Podcast. Dee, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm really ready for fall, and it's not fall yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am ready for like that little nip in the air, you know, uh, when it first starts to get a little bit crisp and the humidity kind of yeah. goes down a little bit. I'm ready for
0: that. Yeah. I was saying earlier that I have not been able to get in nearly enough physical activity because it's so stinking hot outside. It's and so hot. muggy. Yes. Yeah, even my chickens are complaining. <laughs> are they? <laughs> they are. They're like not eating as much. They're they're they I see them out there and they've got their wings like fanning themselves.
1: No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say I've got to see that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are definitely hot. That's all I would say. They're definitely hot chickens. <laughs> well, I am really excited about today's topic, D. It is gonna be so much fun and I think it'll be super interesting to our listeners. But before we dive in, I just wanna say like when I trained as a dietitian It was more than a decade ago, so I'm, you know, I've been a dietitian a while, but there was a really strong focus on slowing down the obesity crisis, which is what they called it then. And so recently, I I just looked before the show to see how are the statistics now around obesity, and so I went to the CDC's website. And they say that the prevalence of obesity in the U.S. is almost 40%. So I think that's higher than when I know 40%. I was really surprised. That is in the neighborhood of $93 American adults and that was a few years ago that was like 2015 2016 because of course they don't have any current stats you mm-hmm. know it's the government <clears throat> no offense but the stats are always a little bit older and um you know when I think that when we combine the numbers of overweight and obesity together that number is somewhere over 60 percent so that's a really I think that's a huge number, and millions of people are affected, and why does it matter? Well, I think there's some disagreement, uh, even in the professional population, about overweight and how much weight is too much weight, and some of the calculations we use like BMI, uh, you know, not everybody agrees with that, but the reality is that when somebody's obese, for sure, when, when we hit a certain amount of overweight, it increases the risk for heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, and some types of cancer, and it can lead to premature death. And not only that, it can significantly impact our costs, right? So one of the stats that the um, CDC had on their website was that $147 billion in 2008 were spent because of obesity in the U.S. Which was shocking. Like, you know, we have such an issue with healthcare costs mm-hmm. in the U.S. and, and certainly, if we could get this issue better under control, it would help with those incredibly high medical costs. I would think, right? Economics is medical what it is,
1: cost and quality of life. Yeah. Like, you know, not just from disease, because there are people who are considered overweight who are not necessarily unhealthy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. um, But maybe they're impacted in what they're able to do. You know, maybe they aren't able to, I don't know, ride a roller coaster because of their size and they they want to.
0: Right. And I think there's a big difference in obesity mm-hmm. and overweight, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean we can definitely there's there's lots of research that shows that you can carry around some extra weight and it might actually help you mm-hmm. long term. But if you're in the obese range, once you get to a certain level, it's going to impact your health negatively. Whether it's, your, you know, metabolically, maybe you're not going to develop heart disease because you've got great genes. But it's going to affect your knees. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect your back. It's going to affect you physically. There are going to be some impacts. And so if we can get that under control, that's going to help. But I think that even though the reality is that there are millions of Americans who are carrying around too much weight and it could be impact- impacting their health, Unfortunately, I think that there's another separate but related issue, and that is the media and culture and how weight is addressed in in that arena. So the focus and obsession on health and fitness and beauty being defined as fitness And, and thinness being, deter- you know, sort of the determinant of what's beautiful. And that, along with this juxtaposition of the reality that we have a culture that, you know, by and large are many, most of our people, maybe many of our people are obese or overweight, that fuels this diet industry that creates this unattainable kind of level of beauty. And I was shocked by the number of, of, uh, dollars that the diet industry taken. Do you
1: wanna take a stab at it? I'm gonna guess it's in the billions. Yes. <laughs> Seventy billion dollars. <gasps> Okay. I when I said billion, I was thinking like two or three, seven. Seventy. I was so, I was floored. I was like, $70 billion? Oh my God. So that's gosh. why everybody's like thinking of these detoxes. Right. And- <laughs> right. Wow. And, it, and I think that that fuels so much
0: confusion. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about that on some of the other shows, like how confusing it can be to eat healthy and what does healthy mean and all the different kinds of diets. So today, I am so happy that we have somebody with us who's going to help us sort of cut through the clutter, dig through this issue, talk about diet culture and weight and weight loss. And what is sort of, what are the facts? And Mm so, um, I want to welcome Julie Brake, who is a dietitian, a registered dietitian, nutritionist like me. She's licensed in the state of Georgia and she specializes in family nutrition, sports nutrition, and prevention and treatment of disordered eating. So I love that focus on disordered eating. I think it's going to be really helpful as we talk about this topic. So she has counseled clients for weight management and various nutrition concerns. She received her bachelor's and master's in food science and human nutrition from the University of Florida. And she's got lots of experience. So she's been in private practice for 13 years, working with families and kids. And she's been working in eating disorders for 16 years, which is pretty amazing. And I'm sure you've seen everything, right? Pretty much. Pretty (laughs) much everything. (laughs) So her private practice is called Positive Nutrition. And I love the name of your practice, Julie. And I think it fits your personality. Thank you. I so like you <laughs> welcome to the show. And so tell us about your practice and what makes you an expert in this this area besides all the experience we've just talked about, right? Right.
2: I mean, obviously my degree, my education, my training, um, and I am also a presenter for Dietitian Central. So I actually teach other dietitians um, how to counsel people with eating issues. Um, so I have a lot of experience. I've worked in a lot of different areas. Before I went into private practice, I worked for the WIC program. I worked for hospitals. Um, so I have different um, experience coming from those um, work experiences. And what else? Um, you I mean, just know it. a ton. You yeah. just know, you've, and you've had
0: all this experience. I think that you know we know what we know as dietitians. We learn a ton, but I don't know about you. I always felt like I learned so much more when I was applying that in practice.
2: Right, right. And and sometimes you know when you go through your internship as a dietitian, you learn all these basic skills, and then you may or may not use that when you get to doing what you really want to do. Right. I had um, a really great internship where I was able to work with a sports nutritionist at the University of Florida and. And see some of the disordered eating and eating issues from the get go. So that was really good in Um, athletes. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Prevalent, right? Very higher than
2: in the general population. Wow.
0: You know, there's it's interesting. This is sort of an aside, but it's been very interesting. I've actually seen some research in the last couple of years that suggests that even dietitians, among dietitians, yes. Yeah, there's a high level of of disordered eating. Because one of the
2: things that – and even people will sometimes have disordered eating before they become dietitians because that's what spurs their interest in nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, But then just that um, perfectionistic mindset that a lot of dietitians have (laughs) and that, like, just pursuit of doing health the right way um, can just kind of lead to those types of disordered eating behaviors. so. So why in athletes? Um, athletes are really focused on their body and how well it's going to perform. And so even for your average athlete, they might be extremely regimented about their nutrition intake Mm. for their performance level. Mm. And so then, um, because, there's just a natural propensity in a certain segment of the population toward disordered eating, then that might be just a launching point for them. You know, they get more and more regimented about their eating and they may either be more and more restrictive or they may be more restrictive during their season. And then when they're in their off season, they may lead to binge behaviors. So um, it's just because there's such a focus on their performance and their physical body that that over that obsession kind of happens.
1: Is that mostly like high school, college, or do you see that younger?
2: I see it younger, but usually not because of sports. You know, I mean, usually sport, the sport focus tends to happen sometimes middle school, but usually the disorder happens first, and then the sports are on the side. So but Mm -hmm. high school and college is where, you know, you kind of see that more developing in the the population of athletes.
0: Yeah. And, and a lot of um, disordered eating is really about control, right? It is. I mean, it depends. Every
2: person is different. Every client is different. Um, so some people it's about control. Um, it just depends on what they're engaging in. Some people it's about comfort. Some people it's about escape. So, you know, so it just kind of depends on the person.
0: So in our circles as dietitians, and I'm even starting to see this in the sort of in the general consumer sphere, you know, I think there's been a real focus on diet culture, what we're calling diet culture. Can you tell us what that means to you? So what I would call a diet culture is kind of an
2: environment that, promotes and supports um, dieting in a restrictive way. So, I mean, when we say diet in the United States, we're talking about a restrictive eating pattern. We're talking Mm -hmm. about, I'm going on a diet. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to not eat whatever food group you've decided you're not going to eat. And so that's what our our culture in the United States, and and even it's global now, I mean, you know, especially in developed countries um, with just a culture that really promotes dieting, promotes being thin- has a thinness ideal. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's so funny because you know, as a dietitian I use the word diet a lot to right. describe like just eating. Mm-hmm. Like the diet that you, you what's your diet? What do mm-hmm. what are you eating? What's your diet like? And I have to I have to catch myself when I'm talking to consumers especially or friends and family, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that when I say diet it means something very different to their ears. I have to be really conscious about Not that. Just
1: a way of eating but right. a restrictive way of eating right. or controlled way of eating.
0: Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think that there's been, there, there's been some really interesting things that have come up as a result of now having this conversation about diet culture. And I think one of those has been a shift in people toward accepting others at every size. And we've seen that in the media and I, I think in a really good way. Can you tell us so, some of your thoughts on that? Maybe talk about health, like Hayes, if you want.
2: So health at every size. Um, and i <laughs> it's really, there's a big push right now to just accept people no matter what they look like. And on the one hand, yes, you know, we should accept people um, who are all different sizes. Um, but like what you were saying earlier about people that are morbidly obese, I mean, we have to be honest about the health risks that come along with that, just as we would be honest with an anorexic who weighs 80 pounds. You know, so we we have to look at both extremes as not healthy for people. Uh, but we also need to recognize that people can come in all shapes and sizes and that we should not try to make someone who happens to be a bigger size Fit into our thinness ideal, and there's a big push for that now. But I will, I think health at every size takes it a little bit to the extreme because they really do want. Well, it doesn't matter what size you are, as long as you know you feel good. It doesn't matter. Um, and I think if people are honest with themselves, they don't feel good. I mean, like you were talking about earlier with the knees, and you know, it, it, you don't feel good when you can't do things, when you can't ride a roller coaster, when you can't walk through the grocery store without being out of breath. It doesn't feel good to people, and underweight people feel the same way. I mean, they mm-hmm. struggle. To to do daily tasks as well. So um, I don't necessarily hold to the health at every size statements. Um, and they also almost demonize the body mass index. I'm finding mm-hmm. a lot of professionals now are just, we don't need to be weighed and we should ignore the BMI. And it's a really a part of our health screening. It's a, it's one number where we look at it with all the other numbers we might get from lab values, or we might get from history. And so I think we shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't ignore the research um, behind it. But we should take it as only a part of our assessment and talk to people about how they feel, how is their functioning, what's their energy level, and, and then be accepting of all
1: sizes. For sure. So, you know, I am a black woman mm-hmm. and I generally carry more weight in my hips. And there's no point in my life, even when I was underweight, that this backside did not exist. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't. Mine and so, either. And I'm a white girl. <laughs> I know, girl. <laughs> so, you know, the the health of every size or just the body positivity movement was great for me because I'm like, okay, it's okay for me to have this big donk. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I have also spent some years being overweight. You know, I'm working on that now, but the things that were a problem when I was overweight definitely needed to be addressed. And while, you know, I'm very happy that I have, I'm built the way that I am. I like the way that I look. I also don't want my knees to hurt. I don't want to have plantar fasciitis. Like I could not walk getting out of bed in the morning because of the strain that my weight was putting on the bottom of my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to be honest with myself about that. Right. Yeah. I like my big badonkadonk, but <laughs> I also want to be able to walk without pain. Right. Right. right.
0: And it, it, you know, I think that's the thing where I think as dietitians and health professionals, where we can inject some, um, information, some, 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 fact into the conversation recognizing that yes you're beautiful just like you are
1: I am. yes there's nothing <laughs> yes.
0: wrong with being bigger there's nothing wrong that's i mean i definitely feel i love that now we're starting to see cover models a lot of times right. who are all different sizes that's and, great you know my athleta you know catalog comes in the mail and i look at it and i'm like oh it used to look at a bathing suit and think i don't know if i can i'm not quite built like that i'm not sure i can wear that but now i see a lot of catalogs and i'm like oh that, I can wear that. That My body <laughs> looks kind of like that. I can wear that. Whereas there was a time in my life when I just would not have even thought something would fit me, you know? So I right. love that we're changing the ideal. It's happening slowly. It's not going to happen yeah. fast.
2: It is a gradual process yeah. for
0: sure. But, but I think we do have to be honest. So how do we do that? How do we encourage people to both accept their bodies as they are while also helping them achieve a healthier, long, longer life?
2: Right. I mean, the, the- – First thing that I do is I just think about what's true right? And so I want to tell my clients the truth. I'm not going to be dishonest with them. Um, you know, I want to be kind about it. I'm not going to start, you know, just going down a list of all the things that are wrong that they should be changing. But um, I'm going to talk with them about what they feel like needs to be changed and then what I see with my assessment. And then we're going to work together on helping them to have a healthier and happier life. And for everyone, that's going to be different. Two people might look exactly the same, but work on very different things. And mm. so, you know, we can't judge by the just looking at people, but we also have to be honest with people, you know, just tell the truth. And and that's, some people don't want that, you know, I mean, I have plenty mm. of clients that see me for one session and don't come back, um, <laughs> you know, that. yeah. <laughs> um, and especially when they learn that I'm, some people want a diet, they yeah. want, you know, they just tell me what to do and I'll do it, except mm. that that's not going to work.
1: You won't give them a diet because that's not going to work. Why? Why doesn't it work?
2: Yeah. So dieting is restrictive and um, eventually people give up. Um, You know, now there are people that stick with, um, I guess they set themselves rules and they stick with it, right? Um, And sometimes it is okay. Sometimes it works um, for people and it's balanced and they get everything that they need and they're healthy. But other people, when they try to go on a diet, they're basically restricting something that they actually want to eat or they're eliminating an entire food group and and then they're going to start craving that because their body needs it. Um, So, and if you look at, you know, the statistics on obesity and the statistics on dieting, they're, they're the same as... As our dieting is going up, our statistics on obesity are going up. So clearly, dieting's not working. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's just the reality of it. So um, you know, people, and there are some people that come into my office that know that because they've tried six different diets yeah. and nothing's working for them, and they're ready f- to hear, you know, what's going to really work. How can I really eat well and live my life? Yeah
0: i think that, that that's the key right i mean it's it's it, you can lose weight on any diet i think i have found right. i've seen you know people can any time you significantly restrict your calories and it doesn't matter what it looks like whether it's low carb or low fat or mm-hmm. whatever it is you know you can lose weight but can you keep it off is it right. a lifestyle that you can do forever and that to me is the difference between a diet, a restrictive, temporary diet, and a diet that is the way that we eat, you know? Two very
2: different things. And you talk about lifestyle, and it's interesting because the dieting industry hijacks our terms, so now we yes. see lifestyle change a lot or living a healthy lifestyle, and they still mean a diet. Yeah, So, like, yes. you have
0: to really look at a what people are saying. A healthy lifestyle means
1: no bread ever. Right. Oh, <laughs> Wait. Yeah. You know you're going to have a sandwich at some point. Uh, right? <laughs> right?
0: Right? So so what about so that kind of takes us into you mentioned like the the they hijack our language and I mm-hmm. think there are definitely some really popular diets mm-hmm. that hide themselves as a way of eating. So I'm going to mention a few of them and you can talk about any of them or none of them. So (laughs) the, so definitely keto, right? Keto is versing. That's that's the most popular one right now, right? The keto and then paleo, paleo is not too different, you know, slightly different, but not too different than that. Um, whole 30 is another one. I think that one's really interesting to me because it's kind of like whole 30. It seems like it's such a wholesome thing and it's great and we should do this and it's all about whole foods and yay, yay. Yay. But it has some dieting elements, yeah, yes. It is. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about any of those?
2: So, and the the interesting thing to me about all of those is that they all have slightly different forms. Whole thirty is a pretty strict one if you actually follow the book or mm-hmm. the instructions or whatever. It's freaking hard. Yeah.
1: like <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to do whole for thirty for September, right. and then I started reading, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to. Yeah. Do this.
0: <laughs> no dairy. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't
1: want to do that. I don't want to do
0: that. And you know what? Let me just liberate you all (laughs) as you're listening. You don't have to. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to do that. It's not necessary. Um, And paleo has all different forms. And keto now, the popular form of keto right now isn't really keto. Um, (laughs) So if you, you know, and if you read the research on all of these, you know, you can always find one study that shows that they're great. But um, then there's also a study that shows that they're not great. So yeah. um, I think my issue with a lot of these popularized diets is that one person found something that worked great for them, and now they want to apply it to the general population. Yes. And you can't – you just can't do that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because they want to make money. And it's like, hey, a I can write times. this book, right, and yeah. I'm going to sell it. And, and be wary of any – quote unquote health professional that you see that says, Oh, I know how I can help you. You need to buy my book and you need to buy my supplement and you need yes. to buy my product and because that's what they're doing is they're and some people genuinely are wanting to help. They think yeah. that they're really helping. And they people, believe in but, it. Right. Yeah but it's just not, not valid. It just no. doesn't work that way. So. The other
0: one that I, that I've seen and I, so is intermittent fasting. And so That's let me just, one. let me just tell you, this is what happened. I think I told you the story D the other day, but I was at a family function and there was this young man who was 16. Oh, I did a rant on Instagram. 16 year old boy who was adorable and smart. So smart. And, and, um, he, he, when he found out I was a dietitian, he was like, Oh, you're a nutritionist. So, um, I want to ask you about intermittent fasting. And we went to the this whole conversation about intermittent fasting and this is a kid yeah 16, 16. Yeah. he's still growing he's skinny because you know he's 16 year old boy right and he you know he's 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 asking me all about he's, so he ends up telling me that he is not eating for 20 hours a day and oh he eats goodness. for four hours a day mm-hmm. and he's like you know asking he's like the the hardest part of this is I'm really hungry and I was like duh <laughs> I eat. exactly I'm like oh my gosh so I had this whole conversation with him of course to tell him like dude you're growing. You're not going to look like that magazine. You're not going to get shredded. You're not going to get – none of that's going to happen today because you're 16. Right. You know, you need a few more years, a five more years of growing mm-hmm. and development before you're ever going to even have a chance to look like that, and even then you probably won't. Right. So don't starve. And I, so I'm like – I'm thinking to myself, like, this kid's bones, his yeah. muscles, his teeth.
2: <laughs> it's funny how people will ignore their hunger. Like, yes. Like, you know, if, you, if your body tells you, I need to go to the bathroom, you go go to the bathroom when you can right you know right. I mean, um and you know but people will just follow a I don't know, some list of rules instead of listening to when their body tells them they're hungry.
0: Yeah. And
2: um, something that I work with clients a lot on is, you know, I mean, some people don't even know when they're hungry anymore yeah. because they've ignored it and, you know, not paid attention to it. And so, um, yeah, it's just funny, you know, of course you're hungry. I talk with people a lot about how the human body is designed to eat every two to three hours for a period of 12 to 14 hours a day. And then it wants to rest. That's when you sleep. That's when you process everything. And if you don't feed it when it's hungry, then you're totally you're behind on your nutrition and then you're Mm -hmm. trying to catch up and then you're overdoing it. And then, you you know, so I mean, it just doesn't feel good to not eat when your body needs that nutrition.
0: So can you help us understand what the difference between dieting and disordered eating and eating disorder is? Because those are all language that we hear, but I think a lot of people don't understand them.
2: Right. So, and what some people say is dieting really is disordered eating. So we have to kind of be careful and really figure out what people are talking about. Um, but you know, dieting can just be eating more healthy, um, you know, deciding that, Hey, maybe eating six donuts for breakfast isn't the greatest thing. Um, I'm not picking on donuts. I had donuts, (laughs) you know, um, but you know, just kind of people, uh, it's okay to look at things and say, Hey, I want to make some healthier changes and, um, and go on a quote unquote diet for other people. Dieting is very restrictive. Um, um, and it can it can just be a dieting behavior that ends with that diet or you know stops there. But for a certain percentage of the population, I think it's probably 25 to 30 percent from the statistics. The National Eating Disorders Association has a great list of statistics on their website. Um, but you know, that that is, um, So some people, they just, they keep going with the dieting. They can't stop. They keep restricting. They eliminate something else. They decide that they are going to do organic or non-GMO or which are separate issues. But anyway, um, you know, (laughs) so kind of there's all these additional dieting behaviors that just keep going and keep going. And then it becomes disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Disordered eating is any unhealthy relationship with food that will interfere with your health and wellness. That's kind of my definition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just means that I'm eating in a way that either I don't feel good about or I'm eating in a, a ex, based on extreme emotion or based on um, kind of mental obsession mm-hmm. or um, it's interfering with my physical health. And then eating disorder is what we use um, to to cover the um, official diagnoses. So we have um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, <laughs> or the DSM-5, is their psychological illnesses, right. um, And so now eating disorders are unique to other psychological illnesses in that they will affect physical health as well. So you can have depression and be perfectly physically healthy, but you cannot have an eating disorder and be perfectly physically healthy, even if it appears that you are. Hmm. So, that would include your anorexia nervosa, your bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. Um, and there are a couple of new terms out now um, that would be confusing to everybody else. But mm-hmm. so basically, they, there's a set of official diagnostic criteria, and you're diagnosed as a psychological medical condition. Um, so, disordered eating covers a very wide umbrella. Yeah. And then, eating disorder is a little bit more specific.
0: Yeah i think an interesting sort of um contrast to that is what is now what is healthy eating tell us what right. is healthy eating So
2: healthy eating, um, and, and there are a lot of definitions out there. There are a lot of terms out there. There's intuitive eating, mindful eating, competent eating is a term Ellen Satter uses. Um, but healthy eating, I would say is eating what your body needs, um, and feeling good about it. So Mm -hmm. it's eating by your hunger and fullness. It's getting a good balance of nutrition just by variety, just by naturally, you know, eating different types of things and eating things that feel good to your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and eating in a way that doesn't interfere with your physical or. Or mental or emotional
0: health, right? I, I I have seen a lot of people who have so many rules around their eating mm-hmm. that they can't eat with their friends, right? That is a huge issue to me. If if the way that you're cho- now, it's one thing if you have a, if you have a condition that requires you to have a certain exactly. diet, it's totally that's totally different. But if you are choosing the food that you're eating in a way that makes it impossible for you to eat with your family to go out to to. Dinner somewhere with your friends, that to me, that's a big red flag.
2: It is. That's actually one of the, especially for older teens and adults, that's a big red flag. There's something almost dangerous going on with the eating that, you know, there, and it could be sometimes it's related to what they want to eat or don't want to eat. Sometimes it's related to behaviors around their eating that they don't want other people to see. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's a big red flag that, you know, I can't, oh, you know, we're all going out to eat. Do you want to come? No, no, but I'll meet up with you later. You know, if that's, always happening, then there may be something going on with the eating.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. You said something about, um, organic eating, Mm -hmm. organic can be disordered eating. How? Well,
2: it, I, it becomes a part of what the rules that people set for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, it just becomes, and and it's not necessarily eating organic or even non GMO or even paleo that is a disorder, but it's Using that as, again, like a launching point or just a part of the rules that I, I can't touch anything that's not organic. Therefore, I can't eat out at restaurants because I don't know if it's organic or not or right. I can't eat out. You know, so that that's the type of things that tend to happen with just those rules. So it's not the organic eating alone, but it's that part of those rules. Okay.
0: So we so that makes me think of orthorexia. So yes. I don't know. Is the orthorexia even an – it's not an official diagnosis yet, is it?
2: So it's not a part of the DSM-5. It okay. would be under our otherwise specified feeding or eating disorder okay. category. So but can it, you define
0: it for It us? is an eating
2: disorder, yes. So what it is is an extreme pursuit of clean, pure, right – Healthy eating. Um, so, and what happens? People with orthorexia, again, it's it's an eating disorder. So, it's not defined in the DSM-5, but we do have some definitions um, by some medical professionals um, looking at it. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be defined in the DSM-5 because it falls under that um, otherwise eating disorder category. Uh, but it it means that you know someone starts with these rigid rules of eating, and they just get so obsessed with them that that's they spend an inordinate amount of time paying attention to what they're eating, what they're not eating, and just pursuing right eating. And then tends to be so restrictive that there's a health problem that crops up. Oh, there's um, you know, osteoporosis, or there's a, a issue with cholesterol, or blood sugars, or something. And um, then the person with orthorexia thinks, oh, well, I must not be doing something right. I need to add more rules. And they get oh. more restrictive. And it gets even worse. And it's very frustrating for these people. So there's not a body image. Issue like there is with anorexia or bulimia. Um, and usually, people with orthorexia become extremely thin because they're eating restrictively, but they're frustrated that they can't maintain a healthy weight. They want to gain weight, they want to, but they think that I still have to stick to these rules because it's what's uh-huh. right. So, um, there's a doctor, Dr. Steven Bratman, I believe is his name. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. Um, and he um, has spoken a lot and published a lot about orthorexia. And what he says is we have to teach people about what to eat instead of Focusing so much on what not to eat. So yeah. that's, that's the thing with orthorexes, they're so focused on what not to eat. And we have to help them liberate what yeah. they're eating.
0: I love. That's actually sort of my whole philosophy on nutrition and food is helping people eat more right. of the things that they love to eat. Right. I mean, I just feel like like there's there are too many rules around eating. Right. You know, if we don't need them, we shouldn't have them. Right. You know, you mentioned donuts. Like I've got a cheesecake in my fridge right now that I made my instant pot, and, and I can't wait I to want dive in a piece. <laughs> <laughs> love, love cheesecake. Uh, yes. So, so I think you know it, it's interesting huh. thinking about orthorexia and this kind of movement on pure, clean. Gosh, that's such buzz now, and right. Especially Especially in social media right Mm -hmm, right I mean I I've I've had to really clean my social media speaking of clean (laughs) clean my social media accounts up like I was following all kinds of people that after a while I was like watching what they were doing and I I just it became so tedious to me Mm -hmm. in in my mind I'm thinking like should I be doing that and then I'm like wait a minute that's crazy like I don't I don't want to eat like that I don't want to I don't want to be and there's nothing against veganism like but right. I don't need to be a vegan. I don't want to be a vegan. I'm mostly plant-based. I love fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and all of that, and I promote it heavily because I believe that it can help you be healthier. But I don't need to be a vegan. I don't need to be – everything I eat doesn't have to be so clean and perfect. and mm-hmm. you know? So
1: where where do those terms clean, um, pure oh, come from? There's in, a book called Clean definition? Eating. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Is but, that where yeah. the
1: definition comes so, kind of I mean, I, from? I
2: think some people, that's how it kind of – I don't know, it became more socially popular, maybe. Uh, But it really just, um, it's from the diet culture. I mean, that's what it's from, you know, like, oh, well, if okay, if this, you know, Weight Watchers isn't working, then I must need to do something else. What am I not doing? Not to hit on Weight Watchers or knock on them. But but yeah, I mean, just all sorts of things that, you know, people try things and then it's not working. So they want to do the clean. So the clean eating became, you know, kind of, there was a book about it. A lot of people went through the whole spiel and um, it's of course very restrictive. Um, And then, you know, so just part of it came from that, but really, I mean, orthorexia, the kind of studies and research started in like the nineties.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's
2: been around longer than people realize it just became kind of a, a popular word. And there are lots of other, you know, uh, eating disorders out there that we hear about like diabulimia and bigorexia mm-hmm. and drunk orexia, oh, like, you know, yeah. yeah. All these things that, you know, we just kind of put a fun label for headlines on it basically. Yeah. Um, but it's really all just, you know, different forms of disordered eating that again, interfere with, with health and wellness.
1: Drunkorexia.
2: <laughs> it's where people don't eat because they want to go out and drink a large amount in the evening. So they oh, so they're saving their calories. Yeah, for that. <laughs> yeah, which is very medically dangerous. You can yeah. imagine, oh right? Like, oh, Alcohol I'm just gonna poisoning. go. Yeah, I'm yes. gonna go drink a ton on an empty stomach. So yeah, not not healthy. Um, and there's pregorexia, which is with pregnant women. And oh yeah, so yeah, you know, of course, social poor, media. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know, right? You know, you're,
0: you're not supposed to look like you did before you got pregnant the day after you had a baby. That's not how your body's supposed to look. No, it it's not your you, you just for you women who don't have babies yet. The day after you have your baby, you still look pregnant. Yeah.
1: So you, you know, do. you look like you're you four months pregnant, and I I see women that have just had a baby, and yeah. two weeks later they're showing a flat stomach, and I'm like, how? Yeah, yeah. that's not Why? normal, yeah. right?
0: Exactly, <laughs> it's not normal. When did that you is have not... time to and do that? It's possible that that person could be genetically programmed that that might be their normal, but that is not normal for most women. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So can you share with us some red flags if someone suspects maybe a disordered eating or an eating disorder in someone they love? Can you give us some red flags? Flags that people can look for, or even red flags you can look for in yourself, because you, maybe they don't even realize it.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the main ones is obsession, right? Like if I'm just spending so much of my time thinking about what I'm buying at the grocery store, reading labels all the time, researching nutrition all the time online, all of my social media stuff Uh-oh. has to do with food and nutrition. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> right dietitians, um, that could be an issue. Um, and you know, so just like, am I am I spending all of my time and my energy and my money yeah. on you know food and nutrition or diet? um and then we talked earlier about social interactions and if that's changing just based on the way that you eat um and then um also things like medical issues that might recur, especially um in athletes if there there are a lot of stress fractures happening or there are a lot of even muscle tears that are happening um you know that can just be a sign that maybe something's not quite right with nutrition mm-hmm. and then um what else there was another one I was gonna say red mm-hmm. flags but social stuff obsession um Um, Parents um, sometimes might notice that a child or an adolescent all of a sudden complains about a food they used to love. Mm. Um, And there's a reason for it. It's that, you know, now sometimes they'll share the reason, sometimes they won't. But if they give a reason, it will be, oh, well, this is too high in fat. I can't do that. Or I can't have pizza again. We had pizza last night. That's not healthy. Uh Or, you know, and so sometimes it's just a normal thing that you have to talk out with your kids or your teens. But sometimes it's because they've been restricting and they're starting down this path. Mm-hmm. of, um, you know, kind of that that restriction. And then if we're looking for binge purge behaviors, we might see empty wrappers. We might have food go missing. We might see, um, you know, signs of purging places or even somebody who excessively exercises who goes to the gym like four or five hours every single day, even when they're sick, or somebody who every time they eat a dessert feels like they have to go to the gym for two hours. So extreme behaviors around food mm-hmm. and, um, and exercise and, mm-hmm. and eating.
0: And the the attitude that they have to earn their calories, I think that to me is like – that's not, that's not a healthy thinking.
2: No, I, once um, someone was presenting a webinar and they said, you know, if we, someone might eat two Hershey cases and say, oh, now I need to spend 30 minutes on the treadmill. But if we spent 30 minutes on the treadmill, would we demand that we have to eat? to her she kisses like mm. we, we yeah. don't you know no. but like but it's just kind of funny how we think about that and and that's a, I call it a compensation mindset where we feel like we have to compensate for everything that we eat that might not be healthy or might not be right and we have to recognize our digestive system is wonderful it mm-hmm. deals with those things really well as long as we don't overwhelm it or underwhelm it with our nutrition
0: right Right. And you know, one thing you didn't mention that I've seen too is like food sensitivities or people claiming food sensitivities or food allergies when they don't have them. You know, there definitely are people who have medically diagnosable food allergies and some who may have some types of sensitivities, but there are a whole lot of people out there who use this as an excuse not to eat. Right. And if you ask them, well, what are your, what happens when you have that, then you can tell like what,
2: what's, what's really behind it. Same thing with vegetarianism and veganism. If you ask them, well, why are you vegan? And you know, if it's, a struggle to figure out the answer, then it's probably more of a restriction than really a pursuit of, you know, something having to do with their beliefs.
0: Yeah. So are there any, like, surprising facts or statistics around disordered eating or eating disorders that you think we'd be surprised to hear
2: I don't know about surprising I mean you know there are a lot of statistics it, now now that we recognize how broad disordered eating can be we really recognize it affects 10 to 15 percent of the population wow um, you know so disordered eating and even just the dieting culture alone right affects a significant portion of our population I, I would say the biggest thing that people don't realize about eating disorders is that eating disorders do not discriminate they affect people of both genders, all ages, all sizes. People in a larger body size can still be struggling with anorexia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not technically anorexia because anorexia is diagnosed by a low body weight, but they're still struggling with that restrictive thing. And people of any socioeconomic status, any background, any ethnicity doesn't matter where people come from or how they grew up or how old they are. They can still have an eating disorder, and it can develop at any time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something that we need to be aware of when we're thinking about our friends friends in our family um, and realizing that just because this person is, you know, 50
1: doesn't mean they can't have an eating disorder
0: and they can develop anytime. Yes. Yeah.
1: So if you suspect that someone in your life may have a eating disorder or you see some disordered eating, how do you address it? What do you do?
2: I mean, I would say asking the person questions is the best way to understand what's really going on because, again, it may be a healthy lifestyle change or it may be something they're going through medically. Maybe they have a medical condition where they have to avoid some things or something that happened to them. So, you know, we kind of have to ask a lot of questions, get a lot of information, and then express concern. You know, well, it doesn't seem like maybe that's the healthiest thing. You know, have you talked with your doctor about that? Do you, you know, know how that's affecting you physically? Um, you know, how, you don't look like you're feeling well, you know, kind of thing. And then um, a doctor can be a first line to detecting eating disorders, but sometimes doctors don't really know what mm-hmm. they're seeing either. Um, and so, they don't
0: spend that much time. No. With a patient either.
2: <laughs> well, right, exactly. I mean, they're so rushed, and I mean, I have some wonderful doctors that I go see, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're busy, and depending on the day, they may be very brief um, yeah. with you. So, so then um, I would say, well, let let's look up some people that maybe we. Can go see, and maybe I'll go with you, or you know, so kind of just be there as a support. And um, so, you may they may shut you down and say, Nope, I don't have any problems, um, or they may um, be really open to talking about it and say, Yeah, you know, I'm just really not feeling good. Um, so, it just depends on the point where that person is.
0: Great advice. I think asking questions is never the wrong thing to do, especially right. if you're really asking in a way that is a, a truly concern so that they don't think that you're judging them. I think that's right. a big part of it too. Right.
2: Right. And, you know, just saying, I mean, expressing care, um, talking, you know, if it's somebody that you love and your family, I love you and I'm concerned about this, you know, mm-hmm. so just, um, coming from that, that point of love too. And, and concern.
0: So for me, you know, as a registered dietitian, I decided about five years ago not to do weight loss counseling anymore. Mm-hmm. If that was the only thing that someone was interested in, I actually stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. And now when people call me or reach out to me, if they're if they're contacting me and their only goal is weight loss, I don't do that anymore. Now part of it is because I just don't keep up with the research and I'm mm-hmm. not I just don't feel like that's an area where I'm where I want to work. But I also realize that Because of what you were saying earlier about, you know, the diet culture, you look at the diet culture, how many people are dieting, how many people are overweight. I know that there's such a yo-yo that people go through. Right. And a lot of times they don't want to do the lifestyle changes if their only goal is weight loss.
2: Right. And, and, uh, you know... From that, you know, health at every size movement and the movement about not focusing on weight. Even people get mad at the words weight management. Now, I use those words. I mean, I advertise that I help people with weight management, but that's because people are looking for that. Yeah. People are looking for weight management and they're looking for weight loss. So I want to bring them in my door and teach them how to eat intuitively. And I openly say that that you know I can I can help you lose weight, but we're gonna it's gonna take a long time if that's what your body's gonna do. We're gonna eat well and see what your body does with it.
0: Right. And that's what I do. So so when I see people. When I see individuals, I focus on if they're they're interested in learning new ways of living their life, if they're interested in learning to cook, if they're interested in learning new ways of approaching food, and that's what they want to do. If they want to invest in their health in the long term through learning to eat better... That's what I That's what I do. So, I, so if people are interested in weight loss, I send them to you. Right? <laughs> I send them to somebody else who's going to do, you're yeah. going to do the same thing I would do. You're going right. to do the same kinds of things that I would do, but I just don't have the bandwidth anymore to focus on weight loss because it's, for me, not an area of passion for me, even though I know that if they'll adopt the habits that I'm going to help them find, they're going to naturally lose weight if that's what their bodies are going to do.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I think this has been a great conversation about a very complex issue. And there are probably lots of other things that we could say. Is there anything that's sort of a burning thing that you wish that you had mentioned that we haven't talked about yet?
2: I don't think so. Okay. Um, you know, we talked about the size acceptance. We talked about, um, the difference between dieting and eating disorders. I think, you know, we need to not jump to either conclusion that it's not an eating disorder or it is an eating disorder. We need to ask the right questions yeah. and get the right answers. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, one point I would make. But other than that, I've really enjoyed talking about this today. Good. It's something I could talk about, of course, for a
0: long time. <laughs> well, if people want to learn more, if they want to connect with you, how can they do that?
2: I have a website. It's um, positivenutrition.net. Um, I have a blog there. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, and you can link to that through my website as well. Awesome. We'll, so. we'll
0: put those links on the post that accompanies this show. Oh. Well, great. Well, I love that you came. Thank you for joining us. I know that our listeners are going to benefit so much from hearing your wisdom and talking through this topic. I, I think that I learned some things. It definitely made me think a little bit more, especially about some of the specifics on disordered eating versus eating disorders, because I think there is a difference, but there's a lot of both.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me as a consumer, I know nothing about eating disorders. So this has been really enlightening for me.
0: Great. great. Well,
1: thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, and thanks to all of our listeners, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. We love that you signed on for this um, this episode. I hope that you learned something, too, and that you were inspired to think differently about food and nutrition. And if you have more questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can always do that. You can reach out to us on social media, like on our Facebook page, or you can reach out to me through Instagram or Twitter, and you can also send us an email at southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com. And with that, I will ask the one question we end every show with, what are you going to do
1: to be healthier today? So for me, uh, my husband has a rare Saturday off. (gasps) What? (gasps) What? What? So, and we're not going to go anywhere because he has just had a procedure done, but Mm -hmm. we're going to stay home and watch a movie. Mm -hmm. Eat something delicious. <laughs> Just <laughs> <Snuggle>. hang out. <laughs> oh, I Some that. That <laughs> oh, I love that. Some of that too. I love that.
0: That's a great thing to do to be healthier.
2: What about you, Julie? I Think I'm going to try to go swimming today with all my oh, kids. So oh, I have four fun. kids, so we love to do that. And it's, you know, we got to slather ourselves in sunscreen because we're paler than pale. But, <laughs> you know, we, very fire. Cool. Yes. So it's one of our fun things to oh, do. Oh,
0: I love that. That sounds awesome. So I think for me today, I'm going to have to do a little bit of prep, a little bit of food prep. I'm, I need to go to the grocery store. There are a few things I didn't pick up when I got my grocery haul earlier this week, like uh, bread. <laughs> 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 I forgot bread and milk. The two things. Oh, my <laughs> God. Bread, milk, the and. Basics. Know, the basics. Those are The basics. Oh, I don't have any eggs either, so <laughs> I need bread, milk, and eggs. So I gotta go to the grocery store to get some of the basic things, and then I want to do a little bit of prep. And of course, I'm gonna keep playing with my instant pot because if you're following me on Instagram, you know that this girl is obsessed with her instant pot right now. <laughs> okay, it. it is so fun. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. We love that you joined us for the show, and we hope that you have a healthy day.
1: Bye y'all. Bye.